If you need a Bible, amen. Just lift your hand. We'll get you one. Anybody need a Bible to follow along with today? Get you a Bible if you need one to look through. Okay? All right. Genesis 25. This comes after Isaac receives his bride or his wife, Rebecca, and it deals with nations. So this is a type of the kingdom age which will follow the marriage of the Lord Jesus Christ as far as prophecy is concerned. So we see in verse 1, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Obviously this is after Sarah has, has passed away. The Bible says in verse 2, She bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba, and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, and Lethushim, and Leumim, and the sons of Midian, Ephah, and Ephur, and Hanak, and Abadah and Eldah, all these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived a hundred threescore and fifteen years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. Now, these are the generations of Ishmael, and I won't read all of them to you, but they cover the generations of Ishmael. And then verse 19, uh, we have the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old, when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. She said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elders shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like a hairy garment. They called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for inspiration to preach it and teach it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In this chapter, we come to the conclusion of Abraham and Ishmael, and then the Scripture will begin to focus upon Isaac. So as we look at it here, the Bible tells us in verse 1 that Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. The Scripture tells us in the Chronicles that she was called a concubine. So there's a little bit of a problem here with this marriage. Not that Abraham was out of the will of God when he did it, but there was some problem with it uh, in the sense that she gave birth to six sons to Abraham and some of these, like Midian, was an enemy, became a thorn in the flesh of Israel in the time of the judges. But nonetheless, we have the record of Abraham taking another wife, Keturah, after the death of Sarah and the six sons that were born to him through her. And then the Bible tells us in verse 5, that Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Notice, he does this while he is alive. Amen? He gives a will, or he makes out a will, and he dedicates or gives an inheritance. Everything goes to Isaac. Nothing goes to the other uh, sons of Keturah except gifts. As far as the inheritance is concerned, it all goes to Isaac. So Abraham is going to transfer by his will uh, the inheritance to his son, the promised son, Isaac, which includes the land of Canaan. And that's what this reference is to here. Now, the Bible says in verse 6 that uh, Abraham, being a benevolent father, gives gifts to the other sons, but he sends them away. Uh, and that is telling us that Isaac is inheriting the land of Canaan. Now, we go on down. The Bible gives us the uh, time frame of Abraham, his death. The scripture tells us in verse 7, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived a hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. Abraham gave up the ghost and died in good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. So after he is uh, given this will to Isaac to transfer the inheritance to Isaac, we see that Abraham dies at 175 years. Now we go back to Genesis uh, 15, go over there. God had promised him that he would live a long life, uh, Genesis 15 and 15, and we see the fulfillment of this. God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 15, Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in good old age. So Abraham lives to be 175 years old. Now if you do a little calculation, 
When was Isaac born? He was born when Abraham was a hundred. So that means at this point, Isaac is 75. Okay? You with me? Now, he had children. Isaac had children at 60. Even though it's not even not recorded until the end of the chapter, Isaac has children at 60. And if Abraham died when Isaac was 75, that means Esau and Jacob are 15. Okay? So Isaac is 75 when Abraham dies. Esau and Jacob are 15 years of age. Okay, you with me? Now Seth only lives, and I'm talking about the, the son of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Excuse me, Shem. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Shem lived only 33 years longer. Okay, so that gives you a time, an understanding. These patriarchs lived a long time so that divine truth could be passed on. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me repeat that because that, if you don't get that, okay, let me say it again. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem only lived for 33 more years after Abraham died. So you're going all the way back to the days of Noah. You see with me? So Abraham is able to pass on divine truth through history because of the longevity of life. Now let me say it again. Abraham dies at 175. He gave he sired Isaac at 100. That means Isaac 75. Isaac and Rebekah have children at 60. So that means that uh, Esau and Jacob are 15 years old when Abraham dies. So that kind of gives you an understanding as to how old his sons were. Now, the scripture tells us Abraham dies. He gives up the ghost in good old age, full of years, and was gathered to his people. Do you see that? Okay, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before memory. So they took his body and they put his body in the grave in Machpelah. Does that make sense to you? Okay, Sarah had already passed away. We went through that. We taught you that. Abraham put her in the cave of Machpelah. Now Abraham dies his body is put in the cave of Machpelah with Sarah. But notice, it tells us something here in verse 8, he was gathered to his people. So we see as to his body, his body was placed in the cave of Machpelah in the grave, but as to his soul, he was gathered to his people. Alright? Now what that is saying to you is that he is in heaven. It says he's gathered to his people. He's talking about where his soul is. Now, okay, let's go over to Luke 16. And you'll see some references here in the 16th chapter. Uh, Jesus makes reference to Abraham's bosom. Okay, Luke 16, please turn there. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, verse 19. And fine linen fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Now this is obviously talking about the beggar Lazarus. You with me? Verse 21. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died. Say, the beggar died. the beggar died. 
Luke 16, 22, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Do you see that? Okay. So this term, Abraham's bosom then, is a reference to, number one, the cave of Machpelah, where they took his body and they put his body in the grave. But ultimately, it's talking about where the soul of Abraham went to. Okay? Abraham's bosom. It was in the underworld. Alright? Now look at it. So we see this, uh, that Lazarus the beggar dies. He goes into Abraham's bosom. This is the location for the believer. You with me here? Okay. I want to pull this out. Maybe this will help you. These terms are, sometimes you read them in the New Testament, you don't understand them. So let me go through it with you just for a moment. Okay. What we have in the Old Testament, when, when somebody died, their body went into the grave, which is right here. You see that? Pretty common sense is what happens to people today. With their body, they take their body, they put it in the grave. But their soul went into the underworld and... Uh, this underworld had a place called Abraham's bosom in it. Now, it's known as paradise. These are where the righteous dead of the Old Testament, when they died, went. Their bodies went in the grave. Their souls went into Abraham's bosom. You with me? Now, Abraham's bosom had two compartments. One compartment was for the righteous dead or the believers. When Abraham died, they took his body, put him in the cave of Machpelah, which is the grave, his soul went into paradise or Abraham's bosom, which was a, a, a place of bliss for the believer. You with me here? The unbeliever in the Old Testament, when he died, he went into the other compartment of Abraham's bosom, which was a place known as Hades in the Greek, okay? Uh, and it was a fiery place of judgment. You with me here? Okay, so... In the Old Testament, the body goes in the grave. If you're a believer, you go into Abraham's bosom. The side of the believer is a place of paradise. If you die as an unbeliever, then you go on the other side of Abraham's bosom. It is a place of torment. Okay? So when the Scripture says that Abraham, when he died at age 175, he was gathered to his people, it's talking about his soul went into the abode where the believers went. It was a place of paradise and a place of bliss. The same thing will be said of Ishmael. He will be gathered to his people. The same terms are used, but he has a different kind of people. When Ishmael dies, when he's gathered to his people, he's gathered to the kind of people that he is. And so therefore, the gathering of Ishmael to his people is the judgment side of Abraham's bosom. Okay, you with me? So when you see these terms, Abraham's bosom in the New Testament, that's what's making reference to. So let me finish in Luke 16. The Bible says that the uh, Lazarus, the beggar, dies. He goes into Abraham's bosom. That's talking about the blissful side, the paradise side. And then the Scripture says that the rich man died. Verse 23 He's in hell or in Hades. He lifts up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus 
that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So that in the Old Testament was where the unbeliever went. They went into a place of fiery torment and judgment. Still, still, still Abraham's bosom. But I'm trying to make a distinction for you. When the Bible says Abraham was gathered to his people, he was gathered in the paradise section where the believers are gathered with his people. But when Ishmael died, he was gathered to his people in the hillside, the time of the place of judgment. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day, he led captivity captive. What he did is he took these Old Testament righteous dead, he took them up, and now paradise is in the heavenly. Now, the abode of the, of the lost, okay, are still in that same location. Their spirits are still in the underworld, in that place of torment, awaiting their final judgment when they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. But Abraham's bosom, as to the Old Testament, is now empty. It's been transferred into the third heaven. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4, talks about being caught up to paradise. So it's been transferred. Okay, so you'll understand that. All right, so the Bible says Abraham died at 175 years of age. He is buried in the cave of Machpelah. He's gathered uh, to his people, as the Scripture tells us, the place of the believer. Now, this is what happens to all people. Everybody's going to die except one thing take place, and that's called the rapture. If the rapture of the church takes place, then there will be people that will be alive that will escape death. But if the rapture does not take place, everybody in this church, every, every one of us are going to die. And the Bible talks in the book about, uh, in the prophet Amos, it says, prepare to meet thy God. Because every one of us someday is going to die and we're going to stand before the judgment, okay? Now, if you're a believer, then you're going to go into paradise. Your spirit will go into paradise. If you're an unbeliever, then you will be gathered to your kind of people and you'll be in hell. So it's important that every one of us understand we're not going to live forever as far as these bodies are concerned except the rapture take place. So we have to prepare to meet God. Amen. Because once you and I die, they take us, they put us in a grave, but your spirit or your soul goes either in the place where you're gathered to your people as a believer or where you're gathered to your people as an unbeliever. A very serious thing. The good news is that Abraham was a righteous man. The Bible told us God made a promise to him that he would live long, and he did, so on and so forth. Now, the Scripture tells us in verse um, 11, it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well of Leo. Rohi, which means God sees me, God is present. This is a place where Isaac fellowshiped with God at this well. Then God talks about the generations of, of Ishmael. Without getting into a lot of details here, um, Ishmael had one daughter and then twelve princes. Okay? You with me here? All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to read all of the names of these here. But anyway, let's go on down. 
Amen. To verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles. Twelve princes according to their nations. Alright? The daughter of Ishmael, according to Genesis, she will marry Esau. And these twelve princes of Ishmael are uh, the nations that primarily make up the Arabs. You with me here? So twelve princes, as the script now, the most the Bible tells us in verse 17, these are the years of the life of Ishmael. So now Ishmael's going to die. 137 years. So he doesn't live as long as Abraham. Abraham lived to be 175. Ishmael only lived to be 137. Ishmael dies. The scripture says, he gave up the ghost and died in what? And was gathered unto his people. Same thing is said about Ishmael that was said about Abraham. The only difference is the gathering place is different. Ishmael is gathered to his kind of people and Abraham is gathered to his kind of people, the believers. Do you see that? Okay. Verse 18, the Bible says, And they dwelt from Havilah and Ashur, that is before Egypt, as, the, as thou goest toward Syria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Now, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Do you see that? So now we're backtracking. And he's talking about the generations of Isaac. So we have Isaac. How old was Isaac when he took Rebekah? 40 years of age. Very important for you to get these things, okay? We saw that in the 24th chapter where he received his wife. Okay. So at 40 years of age, he's married to Rebekah. Amen? There's a problem. They can't have children. So now, just like Sarah was barren, Rebecca's barren. First year goes, comes and goes. The second year comes and goes. No children. You with me here? Rebecca's barren. That's very serious because the promised seed of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ, is going to come through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And if Isaac and Rebecca cannot have children, that means there will be no Jesus. Are you with me? So they get married at 40 and no children. And they have to wait all the way to the 19th year when uh, he's 59, Isaac is 59 years of age before there's any conception. And Esau and Jacob are not born until he is 60 years of age. So for 20 years, their faith is extremely tested. They have to wait 20 years before they have children. And connected to the birth of children, again, is the promise of the Messiah. And if there is no birth, there is no Messiah going to come. And so what do they do about that as they enter into this, this trial or this test of their life? They're married but unable to have children. And the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, is connected to them giving birth. What do they do about this, this test or their trial? How do they handle it? They go to God in prayer. So you'll notice the Bible says, look at it. Amen? 
Verse 21, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. Amen? Interesting. No children. She's barren. But what do they do? They go to God in prayer, and when they pray, God does something supernatural and touches the womb of Rebekah. So now she's able to give birth to children. You start going through trials and you start experiencing things in your life, which all believers do. Every one of us do. Sometimes your faith is going to be tested severely. Their faith was tested severely for 20 long years. And what they did about it was they went to God in prayer and they entreated the Lord by prayer and that and God answered that prayer and now she's going to have children. Not only one, but twins. Amen? So you can imagine if in those days they had doctors like we do, you go to the doctor's office and they say, you're barren, you can't have children. You can't have children. And they go through this process for 19 years. You know? And they just can't have children. So they just start praying to God, talking to God, and God does something supernatural. Amen? You see that? Alright, the Bible tells us she conceives after they entreat the Lord. In verse 22, And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So I don't understand what's going on on the inside of me. I've got these two two babies inside of my womb, and they're struggling in my womb. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, just simply kicking. Like a baby would normally do. It's not just the, the simple kicking of the baby or the moving of the babies in the womb. When Rebecca says they are struggling within me, it is a violent, violent struggle that's going on. I mean, they are literally dashing against each other in the womb of Rebecca. You understand? It's, a, it's something very violent. It's not a normal situation, you know. Now, there's one thing that us men will never experience, and that is the kicking of a baby inside of us, you know. Um, so, praise the Lord, I can't tell you what that's like. But there's some women here who have had children. You know what it's like to have babies just kick inside of you, you know, and kind of move around? You, you can feel them. Okay, well, I can't say I know how you feel, but but that's not what's going on here. What is going on here is they are fighting with each other. That is unusual that you would have two two babies inside of the mother and they're going to war with each other. They're violently, you know, push. He'll push and he pushes back and he kicks the other one. The other one kicks him and. Maybe get some in a headlock. I don't know. But, but it's, it's a really, really, so you'll get the point. It's a really violent situation that's going on inside of the womb. I mean, if you were to look at Rebecca's belly at that time, I mean, we'd go, boom, boom. I mean, I'm serious. I'm just illustrating so you'll understand. It wasn't just a natural kicking. It wasn't just a natural movement here. There was warfare going on between these two children, Esau and Jacob, in the womb. They were fighting each other. 
So she goes to God. They go to God in prayer. And they said, Lord, why is it like that with, with me right now? Why is this happening on the inside of me? Amen. And so the Lord uh, answers her. And prophecy, a prophecy comes to her. And the Scripture says right here, verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. See, it's not just two individuals that, that you need to see here, but they're going to be born, both of them. They will not be identical twins. We will see that in a minute. They will be twins. They will be born. And from them, nations will come. There will be multitudes of people that will come out of their loins. So the Lord says, two nations are in your womb not just two individuals. Amen? And then he goes on and he says, and he says, two manner of people, two kinds of people, they're different from each other. So they will, they will grow into great nations and they are different kinds of people. Two manner of people are in your womb. So it is a prophecy from God that these two individuals will become great nations, but they are totally different from each other. And then the Lord says, the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, you with me? Now this might not sound important to you, but it is. Okay? We will read it in just a moment. That's exactly what happened in history. From Esau and Jacob came two nations. From Jacob, Israel. The nation of Israel. And from Esau, the Edomites, which today again is also connected with the Arabs. And the Arab nations would be in constant conflict with Israel. And so the Lord prophesied, gave this prophetic word that these twins would be born, they would become great nations, but they would be at war with each other just like they are in the womb. It's going to be a violent dashing between these two people and they're going to be totally different kinds of people. Alright? There's going to be war in their history. So Jacob will be born. We'll see that in a moment. Israel will come from him. His nation will be at war with the Arabs. The Arabs will be at war with them and that will be their history. And it has come to pass. Amen? So let's keep reading. So the Lord explains and gives a prophecy. Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. You with me? Now, let's keep reading. They're going to be separated from your bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So it's going to be such a violent situation between the offspring of these two children that God says they're going to be separated from the womb. Now, that doesn't just simply mean that one's going to be born, then another one's going to be born, and we're going to separate the two. What he's saying is this, is that they are going to be so different from each other. They're going to be separated from the womb. They're going to be at war with each other from day one. Okay? Different kinds of people. Now, if you think about that, I know some of you have kids. All of your children are a little bit different. None of them are the same. You have more than one. None of them are the same. But how would you like to have a prophecy over your head that your two children prophetically would be nations and they would be at war with each other? And one 
would be totally different from the other one. And that's what God is saying here. They will be totally different in their character. Amen. Now the Bible says, interesting, the Lord says, the elders shall serve the younger. Normally, the elder, you with me? Gets the privileges in the house. The younger normally serves the elder. But the Lord says, the younger, you with me? The elder is going to serve the younger. Not the younger serving the elder, but the oldest son is going to serve the younger son. Do you see that? So it's a prophecy from God. What is God doing? He's giving the birthright that belongs to the elder son. He's giving that birthright to the younger son. And he says the elder shall serve the younger. The younger son is going to get the birthright. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. And when I get into that teaching, it's something you really need to listen to very carefully. Okay? So we have a prophecy from God. God is explaining to Rebecca why this violent dashing and warfare is going on within her womb. It's because they will become nations that will be at war with each other. They will be totally different from each other. They will be separated from the womb. They'll be at war from day one. Okay? And the elder shall serve the younger. So God is saying, I'm going to give the younger one the birthright. Now think about that. The new birth, this is a type of the new birth. When you get born again, the elder, your old nature, must serve the younger, your new nature. See? Until you get born again, that old nature is in control and it's ruling. But when you get born again, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, your new nature, amen, the old nature must serve the new nature. The elder shall serve the younger. So there's a reason why God does what He does. He gives us these pictures as we go through the Bible as showing that the elder shall serve the younger, which means my old birth is going to serve my new birth. Amen? And that's the way it's supposed to be. Now we continue, the Bible says, in verse 24, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold there, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. And not only red, but hairy all over. Now, praise the Lord. Most children, when they're born, don't have much hair on their body. Most children, when they're born, have a little hair on their head, you know? Some have a lot of hair on their head. But it's a normal situation that kids don't normally have hair on their body, just a little on their head. But when Esau comes out, and he's the elder, he's the firstborn, when he comes out, he's red and he's got hair all over his body. He just covered with red hair. You know, unusual, unique. And so when Isaac and Rebekah see Esau born, covered with red hair all over his body. They, they take note of that. Amen. Verse 25. The first came out red all over in hairy garment, and they called his name Esau, which means hairy. If you had a child that came out and it was hairy all over, you'd probably call him Harry. But that's really basically what they did. In the Hebrew, they called him Harry. 
if you want to translate it into the English, they called him Harry. Alright, with me? So Esau means Harry. That's why they called him Harry, or Esau. Because he was Harry. And so he's got this red hair. He's a really unusual looking creature. I mean, person. <laughs> now notice. So the first came out. So again, Esau's the firstborn son. He's hairy all over and he's red all over. Unusually red. Amen. Unusually hairy. And after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Are you, are you with me? Now, it's, it's interesting. So I don't know if Esau, so they're trying, they're trying to be the first one out of the womb. So Esau's going to be the first one born, but maybe it was Jacob that stuck his hand out first. And then Esau's born. It is believed by Jewish scholars that Jacob stuck his hand out and they tied a cord around it. I mean, we're not going to get into that really today. But okay. So the, the point being is that here comes Esau, he's born, and the Bible says, as the Scripture says, Jacob comes out and he's got his hand on his heel. You know, he's holding the heel of his brother Esau. You know, like, get back in here. I'm going to be first. Well, God said you will be, amen. You'll get the birthright. The elder's going to serve the younger. But, you know, they're at war. They want to be the first one out. So Esau comes out and here comes Jacob, got his hand on the heel of his brother. And he's born. Again, unusual, unique. Because sometimes when twins are born, it sometimes there's an hours between the two. Like the first one's born, then an hour will go by, and then the other one's born. It's not always that long, sometimes maybe eight to ten minutes. But it's very, very unusual to have the first one born and then the second one come right out after that. That means there's going to be great pain for Rebecca. Because you're going, this one's coming, and then this one's coming right behind. And so Jacob has got a hold of the heel of his brother. Esau comes out, then Jacob comes out right behind him. And that's why they named him Jacob. Because Jacob means heel grabber. And later on Esau will, call, will say, he's a supplanter. You've been rightly called Jacob because you're a supplanter. A supplanter means a heel grabber. <laughs> And we'll get into that in just you know later on as we go through the book of Genesis. You with me? So we have Esau. He's called Esau because he's hairy all over. And, amen. And we have Jacob. It's called Jacob because he's a supplanter or a heel grabber. Hallelujah. Interesting. Praise the Lord. Now let's keep reading. So verse 26, after that came his brother out, his hand took hold on Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. He's 60 years old. So it wasn't until 20 years had come and gone, severe trial and test, she conceives in the 19th year, and they're born in the 20th year. Does that make sense? Amen. So now you know how old Isaac is at the time of the birth. But remember... He's 75 when Abraham died. So that means they were 15 when Abraham died. So we're going back in history as we look at this. Okay, you with me? Okay. Now the Bible tells us something very interesting. Okay, so what have we learned about Esau? 
We've learned that Esau is the elder. We've learned that Esau is covered with hair all over. He's red. We've learned that Jacob grabbed to hold the heel of Esau as Esau's born, and then Jacob follows quickly after him, and therefore they call him Jacob or supplanter or heel grabber. Now, so Jacob is the second born son, but remember, the elder shall serve the younger. Esau's going to serve Jacob. The nations, as you grow in history and nations, that's the way it will be. Now, verse 28. Now, verse 27. Notice this. And the boys grew. Say, the boys grew. Amen. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Stop. So now they've grown up. Don't you love the Bible, how quickly it moves? I mean, it'll, it'll go forward in history, then it'll back up in history. That's just the way it is. That's the way the Bible works. Okay? So we now find out that Esau, when he grows up, he's a cunning hunter, and he's a man of the field. Now, what it means, cunning hunter, he's a very skilled hunter. Okay? He would be the first one to get the prey. If he went into the field and hunted for prey, he would be the first one to get it because he's extremely skilled. He would be like today's athlete, okay? He would be like today's Olympic athlete or somebody like that, a high-level athlete. That's the kind of individual that Esau was, very skilled in hunting. And the Bible says he was a man of the field. Listen carefully. When you read the Bible, sometimes you say, okay, well, he's a hunter, and that means he just goes out in the field. What God is trying to give you here is the characteristics of Esau. What kind of person was Esau? Esau was a hunter, but he did not need to hunt to eat because there was plenty of food in his flocks at home. So what God is trying to say to you is that this man, a man of the field, he's a rover. He's a maverick. He's always on the move. You with me? He's, if you will, the playboy of the two brothers. You understand? He likes to hang out in the field. He's a man of the field. He likes to run with the crowd. He likes to be a part of the world. Okay? He focuses on physical things. Does that make sense to you? He's the one that runs with the harlots. Okay, you with me? So when it says he's a skilled hunter, it's letting you know that he's physical. He puts more emphasis on the physical than he does the spiritual. When it talks about he's a man of the field, that means he's a rover. He's always got to be on the move. He's restless. He's reckless. That's what the Bible's trying to tell you. See, there's some people that don't have the ability to stay at home. They've always got to be on the move, going here and going there. They're restless and they're reckless and they like to hang out with the people that are in the world. That's what the Bible's trying to get you to understand about Esau. If you're hearing the word of the Lord, say amen. Okay? Then God makes a statement about Jacob that Jacob dwelled in tents. Hmm. Notice it. 
The Bible says, And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Now the word plain, when you talk about Jacob being a plain man, it's not saying he's just plain Jane. You know? He's not, it's not saying he's just ho-hum dull. Do you get it? When it says Jacob was plain, that means that Jacob was undefiled. That means Jacob was perfect. It's talking about the character of Jacob, his walk with God, undefiled, perfect before the Lord. Does that make sense to you? So don't get the impression when the word plain is used that it's talking about he's just sort of dull, you know. He just, he just likes to stay at home in the tent while his brother's out there doing all the work. That's not what he's talking about. It's telling you about the character, the difference between these two brothers. One is worldly, one is carnal, one is restless, one's got to always be moving and reckless. Amen. He's the party boy. He's the playboy. Amen. But Jacob is the upright one. Jacob's the perfect one. And the Bible says he dwells in tents. That doesn't mean that he's a mama's boy. What it means is he's the kind of man that's going to stay home and take care of his family. Jacob is the kind of man. You with me here? He's not, a, he's not the kind of guy that's going to sit in the house while Esau's out there doing work. That's not what they're saying. It's saying he's a responsible man. He's not the kind of man that's always going to be running off reckless and restless and running with the world. Not carnal. He's plain. He's upright. He's perfect. And he dwells in tents. That means he takes care of his family. He's the kind of man that's responsible. Jacob was not a weak man. His occupation was one of being a shepherd and a tiller of the ground. So what it's saying about him, he's not a homeboy that loves to sit you know, in the house all day and doesn't do anything while Esau's off working. It's talking about his character. He's an upright, perfect man that will stay home and take care of his family. Amen. And work hard. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. It's not talking about Esau being an outdoorsman and Jacob being a cook at home. He liked the kitchen. It's not talking about that. I mean, sometimes we preach it that way. And I probably preached it that way, you know, just for the sake of emphasis. But that's not what he's talking about. He may have liked cooking. I don't know. In fact, I know he does because he's going to cook some pottage as we go through the story here. Hallelujah. But what it's saying is you can count on Jacob. What it's saying is Jacob is the kind of man that's going to be responsible. Jacob's the kind of man you're going to find at home. Not the kind of man that's always going to be reckless and restless and always running with the world and being a playboy and trying to find something, you know, uh, just to party and have a good time being in the plains of the field all the time. When he went out to hunt, he didn't go out to hunt to hunt for animals just for the sake of food. He went out for the game. That's what the picture is. He had plenty of food. Esau had plenty of food in his in his flocks. 
And so these are, so what God is saying, He's showing you the difference in the characters. They're going to be separated from their mother's womb. They're going to be totally different from each other. One's going to be world. One's going to be carnal. One's going to be restless. One's going to be reckless. One's going to be a playboy. And the other one is going to be responsible, upright, undefiled. The kind of man that will take care of his house. Amen? Now, all of you know, if we look at this typically, the way we used to be before we got in God, is every one of us were like that restless rover. It was always on the move, always reckless, always restless, never satisfied, had to be here and had to be there, and loved the world and loved running with the world and being a part of the world. Anybody here want to, want to hear the preaching today? Anybody can say amen to that? Every one of us, including your pastor, was like that. I was an Esau at one time. And I'm not talking about gender. Every one of you in this church, before you came to know God, you were an Esau at one time. Hallelujah. And when you get a new, uh, a new birth, the elder shall serve the younger. Your flesh shall serve your new, your new birth. Hallelujah. Now you're a spiritual creation. You should become undefiled and perfect before God. You should become a person that's responsible, that'll take care of your home. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Somebody that loves spiritual things more than carnal things. Somebody that loves spiritual things more than physical things. Somebody that's after the eternal more than the worldly. That's what happens to you when you become a born-again believer. And if you don't become a born-again believer, then you're going to be like Esau because he's a picture of the person that's in the world, the non-elect of God. The non-elect of God. In fact, the Scripture tells us in the book of Romans that God says, and in Malachi it says, maybe not Malachi, but anyway, in the book of Romans it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What God is saying, I hate that old carnal nature, that old firstborn, that old fleshly nature that loves the world, wants to run with the world, that's reckless and restless and a playboy and always wants to party and doesn't want to have anything to do with God, with His church, with the Spirit, or with eternity. He says, I hate that. But I love Jacob. Because he's a picture of the undefiled and the perfect. He's a picture of those, amen, that have character. Responsible people. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, all of us still have that old nature. We still have that old Esau. And if we're not careful, if we let that old Esau take us off, we'll do the same thing that Esau did right here. Well, we let the elder serve the younger, which is your new nature, then you'll be upright and undefiled, and you will be a responsible individual. That's what God is trying to get across to us. So verse 27 again, the boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So now we find out there's partiality in the home. Isaac loves Esau because of what Esau does for him. Goes out and kills a little bit of venison, you know. Gives it to Isaac, and Isaac enjoys the venison. He loves Isaac for what Isaac does for him. Wrong. 
And the Bible says that Rebekah loves Jacob. There's partiality that's going on here in the household. It's not a good thing to have partiality in the household. Amen? So even the, the biblical characters, the people that are in the Bible, we see problems in the house. One parent likes the other child better than the other parent, and so on and so forth. You get the picture here. But it's, it's, it's strange to me that Isaac would like Esau, the worldly man, the carnal man. But Mama loves Jacob, the spiritual man. Amen. But there's partiality, so there's a problem here. And the Bible goes on and tells us, Jacob sawed pottage. Alright, so he is a cook. Praise the Lord. Nothing wrong with being a cook if you're a man. I like to cook because I got I need to cook if I'm going to eat. Amen. My wife's sticking her head around the corner. Well, she'll tell you the same thing. Hallelujah. Just being truthful. Amen. But here we have Jacob. He sawed pottage. Now, who did God already say? What prophecy did God already put on him? He said, the elder shall serve the younger. Esau is going to serve you, Jacob. So from the time they're born, God has already given the birthright to the younger son. So Jacob, he sawed pottage. And later we'll find out it's... it's uh, in the word pottage or the wording here, it means it's red. So whatever Jacob was cooking, it's lentils. It goes on and says it's lentils. Basically, it's bean soup or bean stew. Amen. And it's red in color. Jacob must have been a really good cook. Because here comes Esau after one of his little escapades in the world. Roaming through the field, reckless and restless. Doing his little hunting escapades. He's so hungry. And he sees Jacob cooking this red pottage, this bean soup or this stew of some kind. And he is extremely hungry. Well, Jacob already has the birthright by prophecy. He doesn't have to manipulate, you know. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it. He's going to take advantage of Esau. That's what he's going to do. So on the one hand, Jacob is right because he desires the birthright. That's good. And we'll see it in a minute. But on the other hand, he's not right because he's going to supplant or connive or take advantage of his brother Esau at this point. Are you with me here? You, are you hearing this? So Esau, he's got some real problems. But I want to tell you something. Jacob really is the, the ultimate good, bad man in the Bible. He has some tremendous good, good qualities. He desires the things of the Spirit. He's undefiled, perfect. He's responsible. But there's some conniving in Jacob. He will do, he'll work a little bit of deception to get his way. He's the ultimate good man and good bad man in the Bible. 
he's going to take advantage of his hungry brother. Coming out of the fields, you know. Well, if you're, if you're good-hearted, Jacob, why don't you just offer him something to eat? He's your brother. No, you're going to have to sell me something. You're going to have to buy a bowl of soup from me. See, Jacob's going to take advantage. Amen? For something he already has from birth. So the Bible says in verse 30, And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. See, there's a play. There's a play on words here. Esau's red. Hairy all over and red. And there's red pottage. You get it? Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Because Edom means red. Connected to the red pottage. Esau means hairy. He's red when he was born. But now because he wants the red pottage, we're going to call Esau Edom, which means red. Okay? The Bible tells us, And Jacob said, verse 31, Sell me this day thy birthright. It's already been prophesied by God. It's His anyway. You with me? The point being is that what we see in the passage, Jacob already has the birthright by prophetic word from God. What we see in the passage is simply the two attitudes of the two brothers concerning the birthright. Jacob wants the birthright. We're going to see Esau doesn't want anything to do with the birthright. Now, so Jacob says, sell me your birthright and I'll give you something to eat. Well, first of all, I have to explain to you what the birthright is. There's two parts of the birthright. The first part of the birthright is that the elder son, normally the elder son, gets a double portion of the inheritance. Everybody else gets the rest of the inheritance. If you've got a second-born son, they get the rest of the inheritance, but the firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. That's the birthright is a double portion. The second aspect of the birthright is called the blessing. Connected to the birthright is the blessing, and that's uniquely for the family of Isaac. See, all other families would have this birthright, which would which the double portion would go to the elder. But in the family of Isaac, we have something even connected to the birthright. It's called the blessing. And what is the blessing? It is the divine princely promise. So not only is the, is the person with the birthright going to get a double portion of the inheritance, but they're going to be in the line of the Messiah. Jesus is going to be in their lineage. They're going to have the divine princely blessing also with a double portion. You get that. So this person is going to also receive the blessing which is connected to the birthright. Double portion and a divine princely line. That means that everybody in your family that comes out of your loins, 
They're the ones that's going to be the king or the priest. And later in history, this blessing of king and priest ministry will be divided. And I don't have time to get into that right now. It will be divided. Levi will get the priestly lineage or the priestly line and Judah will get the kingly line. It will be divided. You with me? But who is the... Who is the father of Levi? Who's the father of Judah? Jacob. So, Jacob wants this birthright with a double portion. He wants to be in the line that produces a king-priest. Ultimately, the Messiah. That's what's at stake. So he wants things that are spiritual. He's concerned about spiritual things. He's concerned with eternal things. He's concerned with who will be in the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. That's what he wants. It's already been given to him. This is just to display the attitude of the two. And so Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? He said, I'm more concerned about my physical life than I am some old birthright. What profit is this birthright going to do to me? Give me something to eat. I'm about to die. Do you see? His attitude toward the birthright. I don't care about it. It's nothing to me. All I care about is my physical body. I don't care anything about spiritual things. I don't care. It's nothing to me. I'm about to die. Give me something to eat. And I'll sell out the spirit for the carnal. Okay? When Esau says this, Behold, I am at the point of death. What profit shall this birthright be to me? You know what he's saying? I don't care anything about Jesus. I don't care anything about being in the Messianic line. I don't want Jesus Christ. When he rejects the birthright, he's rejecting the Christ of God. When he rejects the birthright, he's saying no to Jesus. I want the world. I want the temporary instead of eternal. I want the carnal instead of the spiritual. I don't want Jesus. I don't want the church. I want the world. That's what he's saying. Go to the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter. Keep your place in Genesis, please. No wonder. In the book of Hebrews, the Lord says this. Verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fall, fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator. I told you he was a harlot chaser. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Hebrews 12, Amen. 
and verse 16. A profane person, the Lord is saying here, He said, don't be a fornicator. Don't be a profane person. Profane literally means fane is a church. When you said profane, you're saying this person is a church hater. This person is a God hater. He's saying, warning you and warning me, don't be this kind of person. Don't be a church hater. Don't be a God hater. Profane. As Esau, verse 16, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the what? Blessing. He was rejected. For he, had, he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He couldn't turn around the outcome. He sold it. He was profane. It was nothing to him. It wasn't important to him. Is there anybody in this church right now that's like Esau? That the things of God, the Christ of God, are as nothing to you. Spiritual things are not important to you. Eternity is not important to you. You hate God. You hate the church. Is there anybody here like that? God puts a warning on His Word to all of us today. Do not be like that elder brother. He sold his birthright. What profit shall his, this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore. You see, he's a high pressure salesman. Jacob says, number one, sell me the birthright. You know, well, at least he had a desire for it, but it already belonged to him. But he's taking advantage of his brother. Now he's going to put more pressure on his brother. Swear to me right now. He's a high pressure salesman. Watch out for a high-pressure salesman. I'll tell you what, the devil is a high-pressure salesman. The devil's a high-pressure salesman. He'll put pressure on you to sell out eternity for the world. He's a high-pressure... You think he's just going to leave you alone and just let you live for God without any test or trial or pressure? Come to you tell you he will come after you. He comes after me. He's a high-pressure salesman. Don't pray. Don't go to church. Don't live for God. Focus on the things of the world. And pretty soon you'll sit here in the church and you become carnal. You're like Esau. It can happen to all of us, including your pastor. That's why I preach with such fervency. We have to be mindful that we carry an old nature, an old Esau nature inside of us. And that old nature doesn't want God. That old nature is at war with God. It's at enmity with God. It doesn't care about eternity. It doesn't care about the things of God. The elder must serve the younger. High pressure salesman. And you know what I'm talking about. The devil comes to you every day and tries to get you to sell your birthright. Tries to get you to quit church, quit living for God. Try to try to put pressure on you to be carnal and fleshly and rely upon your own wisdom and worldliness to get through life. 
I know this is hitting hard, but I mean it to. The Word of God needs to hit us hard. Because every one of us, unless the elder is serving the younger, are Esau's right now. We're ruling. We're in charge. We don't have to be accountable. I don't want the Christ of God. I don't want church. I don't want prayer. Give me a bowl of soup. You know, you have to be careful. And I won't say long here that I'm about, about dumb. And I, you have to be careful when you have a bad day. Esau had a bad day. He had a bad day. But his character prepared him for this moment of rejecting the Messiah, the birthright. He had a bad day, hungry, you know. You're not careful. If you have a bad day, that's when the enemy is going to come to you and put the pressure on to try to make you sell out the Christ of God. To try to make you sell out your walk with God when you have a bad day. If you're not careful, you say, what problem is that? That's not helping me. That doesn't mean anything to me. Be careful when you're having a bad day. You can make decisions that will affect you eternally. Everybody has bad days. I have bad days. There's times before I stand in this pulpit, I'm having a bad day. It takes all of God I got in me to stand up in here and preach sometimes. I'm just telling you. When you're having a bad day, don't make decisions in relationship to spiritual things, eternal things. Amen? Everybody has bad days. Esau had a bad day. And he sold his birthright when he had a bad day. If he had just waited just a little bit, if he had just maybe gone home, there would have probably been food waiting for him there. But he made a quick decision and it cost him. Because then when he started praying, and he, the Bible says he repented with tears. He cried, but he could not change the outcome. It was done. See, there are some things God will forgive us for, but the decisions that we make in life determine the outcome. And no matter how much we pray, we can't change it. No matter how much we pray, the outcome is going to be the same. Might go to heaven, but your destiny has been affected by your decision. We have to be careful. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you ever had a bad day? And that's when the devil comes to you and starts putting pressure on you to quit the Christ of God. He's a high-pressure salesman, church. There's no high-pressure salesman like the devil. And it's when we're having a bad day that he puts the pressure on. And you're tempted just to leave it all. Leave God. Leave the church. Just go to the world. Look, they're having a good time. They're happy. No, they're Esau. They sold out. Help me preach. Look at your neighbor and tell them. They sold out. They're going to be in hell. They might look happy right now. They might look carefree right now. No battles right now. But they're going to die and go to hell. Don't make that kind of decision when you're having a bad day. 
Jacob took advantage of his brother. I would say, Jacob, it was unnecessary. You didn't need it. It was already given to you. God already gave it to you. Why are you doing this? Because you're the ultimate good, bad man in the Bible. At least he had a desire for it. And Esau could care less. So you get the point that when Esau said, I don't want the birthright, it doesn't profit me anything, you get the point that what he's saying is, I don't want the Jesus. I want the world. Pressure. Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And then in the in the twenty seventh chapter, we'll see later that uh, he's going to get the blessing, which is connected to the birthright, the messianic line. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He hated him. He was profane. A God-hater and a church-hater. That birthright is so important throughout the Scripture. And Jacob had the birthright. A double portion connected with a blessing, the messianic line, the red line, messianic line, all through the Bible, going to flow through Jacob and his sons. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons. It was divided. That that birthright blessing was divided into two. Levite received a part of it, and Judah the other part. In closing, let's go to the Word of God today, and let's look in the Book of Hebrews. When God warns us to not be an Esau. How many of y'all love the things of God? How many, how many of y'all, the birthright's important to you? The blessing's important to you? Jesus, the Messiah, the double portion. How many of y'all, the double portion's important to you? The blessing's important to you, the Messiah? In that same 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, that it talks about Esau. No wonder God said the ill shall serve the younger. Gives us warning about that man who sold the birthright. Verse 16, but let's keep reading in that same chapter. God wants to show you something very wonderful. He said in verse 22, But you are come unto Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Hebrews 12 and 22 to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. An allusion back to Jacob. And Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. But I want you to notice something. He calls the church the church of the firstborn. Where's the birthright today? Where's the double portion today? Where's, where's the blessing today? It was in that old nation of Israel. Levi had it and Judah had it. 
until Jesus, God's firstborn Son, the only begotten Son of God, God's firstborn Son is born. And Mary dedicates her firstborn Son, who's the firstborn Son of God. She dedicates Him to God, and when she does, that old nation is stripped of the birthright, the double portion and the blessing of the priest king that's connected to it. And He was given to Jesus. So that when Jesus, when you look at Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus comes into the world, the Bible tells us He is the firstborn Son of God. He's the firstborn of Mary. And when she dedicated Him, God transferred, stripped the old nation of that birthright. And the Bible says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That means Jesus is the King Priest of God today. And He gave it to the church on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and those people began to speak with other tongues that the Spirit gave the utterance, people who were born again, Hebrews 12 says, became a part of the firstborn, the church of the living God. And the Bible says, in Revelation chapter 1, you are kings and priests unto God if you have the Holy Ghost. When you got filled with the Spirit of God, God gave you that birthright. You have the nature of God, the Spirit of God in you, and you are kings and priests unto God. Does it mean anything to you? Today, that God gave you, the church, the birthright when you became a born-again believer. I'm looking at kings and priests unto God today. It's important to me. Is it important to you? What a mighty God we serve. This is the very thing that Elisha wanted from Elijah. Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, if you see me, when I go up, it'll be yours. Elijah is saying to Elisha, you will be my firstborn son spiritually, and you'll get a double portion of my spirit. And Elijah's caught up. And what does Elisha say? He doesn't say, my prophet, my prophet. He says, my father, my father. And that mantle of Elijah came floating down. He picked up that mantle of Elijah. Now he's got the double portion. He smites that river Jordan and it opens up. And Elisha did twice as many miracles as the prophet Elijah did in his life. On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out, that was the mantle. It came down and it rested upon the church. 
You are the firstborn of the living God. You have His Spirit. You've got the double portion living inside of you and you are kings and priests unto God. And now we cry, Abba, Father. It's been transferred to the church. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do every day. He wants to pressure you to sell it. He wants to pressure you to focus on this world, temporary things, physical things, not spiritual things, not eternal things. He wants you to treasure things without God. He wants you to live a life that rejects the Christ of God. He wants to make you a church hater and a God hater. But if you're like Jacob, you say, no, I desire the birthright and the blessing that's connected to it. And I'm going to live for the Lord. And I pray to God, and I, I, I say as I preach, as I come to close right now, I pray to God that we all have the spirit of Jacob in us today, a desire for the Messiah, a desire for the birthright. We already have it. Just like Jacob already had it. But what is my attitude towards it? And that is what is revealed in this story between these two sons. Jacob already had it. The attitude of Jacob and Esau is revealed in the story. And I pray to God, and I trust that for the most part, I'm preaching to people who today will be in heaven. I'm preaching to people today that although you still have that Esau nature in you, amen, that can be pressured into selling out, you will walk after the things of God and love the things of God Amen. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to a walk with God. Be a plain person. Look at your neighbor and say, be plain. Be plain. Dwell in tents. Be plain. Be a soldier or a stranger, a pilgrim in this world just passing through. Be responsible. Be plain. Be perfect and upright. Look at your neighbor and help me preach again. Say, be plain and dwell in tents. You know what I'm talking about? The pressure's on, isn't it, from the world? They even tell you your holiness is too plain for them. Fine. I love the birthright. So remember, whenever you're tempted, the enemy comes to put his pressure on you to tempt you to leave God and leave his church. You have to be like Jacob. Say, no, no, no. I'm having a bad day right now, but God is my God. And I love Him. I love His people. I love His people. And I love His church. And I love my God. And I'm going to live for Him. Please stand with me, firstborn of God. Now, I'm going to pray and I'm going to let you go. But if you've not yet been water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, remember you have an appointment with God. Prepare to dwell with God's people eternally. If you haven't been baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says repent of your sins. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. That old Esau nature. Amen? That old restless, reckless, worldly, driven individual. Repent. Go down in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And when you do, you will instantly become the church of the firstborn. 
with the birthright and the blessing in your life. Father God, I thank you right now for your awesome word today.